Lord, it is such a privilege to exalt your name. Amen. And it grieves our hearts when we see in this world how your name is dishonored. How you are held in disdain. And if it weren't for your grace, we would all be wiped away. And as we begin to look at this this morning, once again, the signs of your coming and see what it'll be like when you come again. Lord, give us a healthy appreciation for the, the magnitude and the seriousness of your second coming. And indeed, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. And all God's people said, amen. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. We are at this point in the, of our timeline for everybody, um, right here in the time of the Gentiles. I'm just going to keep this up here so we can see, because we learn through repetition, and so obviously the Christ came here, and this is the time frame that we are in, okay? Um, there's one more 70th week, one more seven-year period. Um, it's kicked off um, what we believe will be this, is that this is a, it's really this. This is a great tribulation, but really this is a tribulation, and they say this last three and a half years is really what we call the great tribulation. But what we're going to see here is these signs, and they're going to start to happen more frequently, and then right here is when the Antichrist is revealed, and then there's going to be a, a more of an intensity and increase of these signs before he comes again. Okay? That's what we believe will happen. All right? And so Jesus wants us to know the signs. And so in our Bibles, we read Matthew 24, verses 4 through 14. And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation, and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away, and will betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise, and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. On August 14, 1983, late at night, um, we departed Mandeville, Louisiana, to make our way to uh, Houston, Texas. At that point in time in, in the economy, for those of you that, that remember, it was a rough time, particularly to be in, in the north. And so my dad was actually the last person, he was the controller of a company called Babcocks and Wilcox, and they shut down this plant in, uh, near Rochester, Michigan. And I was actually with him that last day, as he was locking up the building. And then the work was in the south, so he went down to the south with the same company. And we were in Louisiana for just under a year. And then he went from there over to Houston, Texas. Why did we leave late at night 
on August 14th, 1983. It had nothing to do with the traffic, although I'll talk about that in a moment. It had nothing to do with the heat. It had everything to do with the weather, though. On August 15th, Hurricane Alicia arrived, and we had to beat the storm. So we were literally driving to Houston to ride out a hurricane. So I remember late at night, or actually it was like 4 in the morning, waking up in the traffic of Houston at that point in time, and my parents were just stunned at the traffic at 4 in the morning. So on the 15th in that morning, we got to our apartment complex, which was obviously brick, and then Hurricane Alicia followed. Now, this is a Category 3 hurricane, uh, sustained winds of up to 115 miles an hour. It did plenty of damage, but I just remember um, sirens going off for tornado warnings. I remember sleeping in a, a closet, it being hot and humid. Now, granted, I'd lived in Louisiana, so I was somewhat adjusted to the, that, but it was just still hot and humid. I remember then the next day just being so sweaty and the rain that was coming down, my parents sent me and my two sisters out with a bar of soap and a bathing suit to go in the rain to bathe because it was at least cooler. And I remember being around the, the pool, and the pool had overflowed because of all the rain. And then we got in the car, and we drove to where we were going to be living and, and, and so on, and just the devastation from the trees that were down. I remember seeing a stop sign that was like this. Okay. And now it's just a Category 3 hurricane, a natural disaster that I was able to uh, go through. At 4.57 a.m. on June 28, 1992, I got to experience the Landers earthquake in Diamond Bar, California. I was at training with Camp Bush Crusade for Christ, and we had taken a break, and I was with a friend, and we went to his cousin's place in Diamond Bar, California. I was sleeping on the floor, and I thought I felt some movement, but, you know, I, I don't know anything about an earthquake or anything, and then it really shook. And I realized this was an earthquake a 7.3 magnitude earthquake. Now, they came out, I mean, the electricity didn't go off. They came out, and my friend came out, and he says, it's an earthquake, and he somehow instinctively knew to go to the door jams, door, you know, the doorway entrance. I didn't know what to do, and it was dark, so I got up and ran to the door, which was a dumb thing to do, and couldn't see and figure out how to unlock the door, and we just kind of wrote it out. Now, this earthquake, do you know how long it lasted? Two to three minutes. Yeah. Um, and uh, it just obviously awoke much of Southern California. Um, the damage and the loss of life were minimized by its location in the sparsely populated Mojave Desert. Um, and of course, I hope it was my first and last earthquake ever experienced in my life. But. Um, we immediately, uh, I heard the, the sirens going off and the car alarms everywhere. Um, we saw a little fire in the distance from the apartment complex, and they turn on TV, and it's just kind of normal for people living in California. There's the earthquake center, and the people are talking about it. It's like, okay. Well, you know, I'm tired. It was like 5.15 in the morning, 5.30, 6 o'clock. So I went back to sleep, only to be woken again by which was a, a 6.7 earthquake or an aftershock. Now, at this point in time, and this just shows the, how stupid I was, and some would claim in my family still am, uh, I'm a veteran of this stuff now, so it's shaking again. They yell earthquake. 
It's sunny outside. I get up and walk over towards the sliding glass door to look outside. I think it's kind of cool. Because I can tell it wasn't quite as intense as the first earthquake. And I'm looking at this pool, and I'll never forget this. Here's this pool, and it's doing this. And it's like if you take a cup of water and do that, what's going to happen? And the water's just sloshing back and forth. Carol, you live in California, right? You ever been through an earthquake? Yeah. It's, 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 it's Who's been through an earthquake in here? Yeah. Yeah. And a hurricane, yeah. Yeah. Well, not like, not since I've been here. Anyways. So, yeah, that's what was happening. And what was interesting was, okay, um, when we left to go back to San Bernardino, it was a totally new experience because it was like we had to be careful driving under bridges. You didn't know if they were stable enough if they were going to collapse. Then, of course, the other, I guess you could call it a natural disaster, um, happened in March of 2020. I'll never forget when the world realized, or at least the United States realized, that we were under a pandemic and in March of 2020, I'm in my office, and you can hear traffic here now, but from 2 o'clock to 2.30 to 6, it's backed up out here. It was a ghost town, and now we all remember that and so on. Um, one of the things that I, I learned during that time was how to ride a motorcycle, and I talked to people that they said that the motorcycle industry took off because people were riding more because they could be alone and, and, and safe. And one of the ladies that works at Cycle Gear said that in March or April 2020, she got on her bike and rode with no traffic all the way to downtown Seattle and back with absolutely no traffic in no time, which is just surreal. So uh, a hurricane, an earthquake, and now a, a, a global pandemic. These are some of the natural disasters that uh, we'll talk about this morning. And so I'm going to... Sh- get you to this picture in a minute here. Um, In our recorded history, the scriptures say here, look at verse 7. Now, believe it or not, okay, I told you last week, I planned on it, and I had uh, these ideas of what I want this sermon to be, and I would be done with the signs this week. We're going to get through, and in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. That's it this morning. I didn't realize the degree that the Bible addressed this issue at the end times. So, in terms of natural disasters, in our recorded history, does anyone know when the deadliest famine took place? Recorded history. China, between 1959 and 1961. Uh, this famine was caused by a combination of political and social factors brought about by the People's Republic of China. The policies, which is called the Great Leap Forward for new history majors, began in 1958, and they wanted to move forward in, in technology and so on, and combined with the People's Communes, which is a bunch of other policies and so on, it created a deadly environment that cost tens of millions of lives. Now, the government official stance is that 15 million people died, but experts agree that the death toll from this famine was significantly higher, anywhere ranging from 20 to 50 million people died from that famine. This picture here is a symbol of what happened in the 1840s in Ireland. Many of the country's poor population had come to rely on what? The potato in their diet. In 1845, a blight caused by the water mold imported from Don Cruzon's house. 
<laughs> or actually, it was imported from North America. It began to appear throughout the country's potato crops, and the blight from 1846 to 1849 resulted in the nation's potato crops being almost completely destroyed. Now, you combine that with the mistreatment that Ireland was under with the, uh, the colonial power of England, the Irish suffered for years, which saw other food products shipped off the island while the people there remained starving. A million and a half people died, and a further million people emigrated from the country. Historians call this the dark period of Irish history, the Irish famine, or the Great Hunger. So in 1997, they commissioned and created these statues, which are there in Ireland. And you can see these are pictures or statues of gaunt, thin people. I think they're carrying either potatoes or they're dying children to these boats to get out of Ireland. A reminder. I mentioned earthquakes. The three most powerful recorded earthquakes in history, actually there's a tie. Now remember, I've been through a 7.3 earthquake. Anyone been through a more stronger earthquake than a 7.3? So I'm better than you are is what we're saying, right? Okay, so we got that out of the way. All right. This is nothing compared to, to these. You might remember this one in 2011 in Japan. A magnitude 9.1 on March 11th triggered a tsunami that left more than uh, just under 16,000 people dead, under 5,000 missing, over 5,300 injured, and more than 131,000 displaced. 332,000 buildings, 2,100 roads, 56 bridges, and 26 railways were damaged. And the quake also damaged what? the nuclear reactors at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant, leading to one of the biggest nuclear disasters in history. I remember seeing that on the news. Here's a picture, of a, just a small picture of the devastation that that earthquake caused. You can see, obviously, the, oh, you really can't see here, but this is like oil in the water and so on in the gas station. Whatever this is, is completely just devastated and gone. Okay, that's a 9.1 that's tied for third with the Sumatra, A-N-D-A-M-A-N, Andaman? Andaman Islands, in 2004. Um, 300,000 people were killed or presumed dead. 1.2 million were displaced by the earthquake in the subsequent tsunami that affected 10 countries in Southeast Asia and East Africa. At that point in time, the deadliest aspect of the quake was a resulting tsunami. More deaths occurred than that in any other point of recorded history. You can see what this did. This was, this is dark. This was all dark. And now it's just, it's gone. Wiped away by 9.1 earthquake. But when you research the most powerful earthquakes, what is scary for us is if there is a top 10, probably six of the top 10 are to our neighbor to the north, Alaska. Okay? The number two largest earthquake was the Prince William Sound in Alaska in 1964. It's a 9.2. Um, and, of course, it led to an ensuing tsunami. It took 128 lives, which wasn't very many, but it caused back... Then, in those numbers, $311 million in property loss in 1964. There's obviously earthquake damage in many towns 
in Anchorage, landslides were common and caused heavy damage. And of course, you want to tell me the largest earthquake ever recorded and where it was? Valdivia, Chile, 1960, a magnitude 9.5. If my memory serves me correctly, we'd go up to 10, right, in the Richter scale? Okay, so we're pushing the limit there. Here's a picture of what happened in, by the way, the Puget Sound, or not Puget Sound, but the uh, Prince William Sound. You can see some of the devastation there. This is what happened, and it's not the best picture because they didn't have a lot back then of what happened in Valdivia, Chile. But just under 1,700 people died. Um, thousands were injured. Millions were left homeless. And back in those numbers, 1960, the damage was $550 million, which is, I don't have any idea what it would be in today's numbers. But it triggered a tsunami that, this is Chile. You go all the way up to Hawaii, the tsunami killed 61 people in Hawaii, 130 in Japan, and 32 in the Philippines. Now, we have just lived through a worldwide pandemic called COVID-19. As of July of 2023, and let me just say this from the very beginning, these numbers are inflated. I don't trust the CDC. I know from talking to police officers, these numbers are inflated, but the numbers are, as of July of this month, just under 7 million people worldwide have died. But in 1347, a violent strain of plague invaded Europe and the East most likely via Italian soldiers returning home from Crimea. This black death would eventually spend half a decade tearing across the continent. The populations of whole towns were wiped out. And it was said that the living spent most of their time burying the dead in mass graves. The black death finally subsided in the West around 1353, but not before it killed as many as 50 million people, which is more than half the population of Europe. Now, obviously, they didn't take photos back then, but they had paintings that depicted it. This is from Florence, Italy. You can just see, you know, it's like a father or a mother and a child. And you can see the painting's interesting. People grieving and scared. He's covering his nose. This is a priest. Um, but you get the idea here of just sort of what it was was like from a, the perspective of an artist. Now, other than what happened in 2020, prior to that, the most recent plague pandemic was the so-called third pandemic. Are you familiar with that? I got this all from the History uh, Channel. It happened in 1855 in the Chinese province of Yunnan, and it traversed the globe over the next several decades and by the beginning of the 20th century, infected rats traveling on steamships had carried it to all six inhabited continents. The worldwide outbreak would eventually claim more than 15 million lives before petering out in the 1950s. And this is a picture, and this is funny too, in a sense, because this is people quarantining in Karachi back in the day. We all are familiar with quarantine, right? But what you don't want to do is have that many people quarantined together, right? They know any better. This is, of course, what they're doing. They're quarantining. Now, that's recorded history to the best of our ability. 
So I thought, let's have a little fun with this, because this is a, sort of a heavy sermon. What's a preview of coming disasters? This is really what we're talking about in these signs. Look at verse 7 of Matthew uh, chapter 24. In various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. So we've talked about false Christs and ongoing wars and worldwide massacres last week. Well, there's, there will be disasters of staggering proportions over the whole earth. As what we just read, various places there will be famines and earthquakes, and you'll see what I mean by this, that the earth is going to begin to disintegrate, start to fall apart. Here is the verse I had you looked at, right? Now, I said that about the earth disintegrating because you have to remember, and we sometimes forget this, that the earth is still under the curse of Adam. Okay? It longs to be set free. Um, and as the end draw nears, the earth begins to break down in preparation for the new heavens and the new earth. That's Romans 8, 20 to 22, if you want to look that up. It talks about the earth longing to be set free as it's under the curse. Now, if you read the Gospel of Luke, he adds this, which is a parallel passage to Matthew 24, 7. And this adds more to our, our list. There will be great earthquakes, obviously. Notice it's not just earthquakes, famines and earthquakes. It's great earthquakes. In various places, plagues is added, or pestilences and famines. There will be terrors, okay? Like people eating lima beans, it's terrifying. <laughs> and great signs from heaven. So when I discovered all this stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be forever there. And so as I got this sermon done, I was like, this is like almost two sermons. So I couldn't go any further and go through the rest of the stuff. It would have just been too long. So what are these things? Well, famines and earthquakes uh, are the Greek's word lemoi and seismos, of course. For the seismos, we get the word what? Seismograph, to, what we use to measure earthquakes. But if we put both verses together, Matthew 24, 7 and Luke 21, 11, we get famines, earthquakes, pestilences or plagues, fearful sights, and great signs from heaven. Okay? These are all the natural disasters, you want to call it those things. Now, we know what famines and earthquakes are, okay? but what does the Bible say about pestilences or plagues? What's the Greek word loimos? And it just means diseases or plagues. That's what's coming. What are fearful sights? Well, that comes from the root word, catch this, phobos, from which we get the word Phobia, which, of course, we get the word fear. It's tied to fear. Now, when it uses this word, it's not garden variety fear. For example, some of us have a fear of heights. Who doesn't like heights? Okay. How about a fear of snakes or spiders? Okay, yeah, okay. I'm not comfortable with any of those things, okay? When you put all of that together, fearful sights means, try to summarize it, it's, it's terrorized happenings or horrible events that bring about a sense of dread. 
For example, you know, when I got married to Erica, I still didn't like spiders, but because I was a man in the house, I had to kill the spiders or take care of the snakes and stuff like that. I don't like doing that. And there's a certain dread that comes upon you, right, when you, ha- you have to confront these things, right? Okay, I, growing up, my brother had snakes, and one got loose when I was in the basement, and I was down in the basement, and I was going to go upstairs, and there was a snake, and I freaked out and yelled and screamed and jumped up on the top of the couch or something like that. But it ended up being there was a, a, a den of garter snakes in our backyard too. So yeah, anyways, I don't care for snakes and stuff like that. But that phobia, that fear, right? This is what it's talking about. And you'll see as we go through this, when we break it down, it's just going to be awful. Now, what are great signs from heaven? And simply put, I think it just means changes in the sky. Now, for those of you that have not ever been or lived in the Midwest, I understand a little bit about that because I've seen what we call greenage. The green, it's a dark green sky, and that is a very ominous sign because that means tornadoes. Okay, you don't see that here as much, um, but yeah. So, the great signs or changes in the sky, what we're going to talk about here, is far beyond okay, a, a green sky. So, in the time of birth pains the whole world begins to disintegrate. The earth is breaking apart as there will be great earthquakes, famines, plagues and diseases, indescribable horrible events that terrorize, as well as changes in the sky itself. And that is just from Matthew 24-7. You can hear a pin drop right now. I don't like preaching these sermons, by the way. Now, again, I feel like I have to say that, that the world, I have seen, you have seen, experienced um, times where there have been, you know, famines and plagues and horrible events. There have been times when there have been unusual signs in the heavens. But again, nothing in the entire history of the world has ever come close to what Jesus is describing in this chapter, and we need to know these things. This chapter, well, notice what else it says in verse 7. Let me go back to here. What else does it say? In various places. In other words, these things aren't going to happen here and there from time to time, like they are now. Okay? They're going to come in large doses in many places at the same time. That's what it's going to take for the earth to to fall apart. So though we've, we've had disasters, never to this extent and on this widest scale in the history of the world. Why is the whole world self-destructing? What does Matthew 24, 12 say? Lawlessness increases. That's sin. Sin is running its course. It's running rampant now. And with sin comes ultimately devastation. Now, the Apostle John sees all these things we're talking about and records it in Revelation chapter 6. Again, I said Revelation chapter 6. You could say Revelation chapter 6 through 19 are parallel passage for Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and all these signs, okay? Because in that you get what? The seal judgments, the bowl judgments, and the trumpet judgments, okay? 
Now, you can come with me. I'm going to read these verses to you, or you can just sit here and listen. But Revelation 6.12 says this, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. Whatever is meant by a great earthquake, I'm going to assume and, and, and say that at very least it's like the strongest earthquake that we have ever experienced. Most likely it will be beyond a 10 on the Richter scale. Because there are earthquakes, and then there are great earthquakes. But here's the thing. That's just one great earthquake. Okay? That's just one. Revelation 11:13 says this, And in that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. That's Jerusalem. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now this earthquake happens in the city of Jerusalem, and it's a great earthquake and a lot of death. But the people are what? Terrified. That's part of the fearful sights, experiencing that, seeing that. But they gave glory to God. But that's not the last great earthquake. In Revelation 16, verses 18 and 20, it says this, And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake. Now listen to this earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. Now, I would think that this one would just be the mother of all earthquakes, far beyond anything we've ever experienced. Maybe an earth-splitting earthquake, okay? So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. Verse 19, the great city, that's Jerusalem now, was split into three parts because of this great earthquake. And the cities of the nations fell. Verse 20. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. This great earthquake literally fractures the great city of Jerusalem into pieces. Worldwide cities crumble due to the intensity of this monumental earthquake. And so Jesus said it would be a time of earthquakes, right? And indeed it is. Uh, it's a time characterized by fearful earthquakes. But he also said it would be a time of famine. In Revelation 6, verses 5 through 6 and verse 8, it says this, When he broke the third seal, I heard the, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was falling with him. Authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill watch with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now, a denarius is a day's wage. A measure of wheat is a pint and a half. So in other words, you're going to work a whole day, and all you're going to get is a pint and a half of grain. Because the conditions are, as we'll see, it's just not possible for the earth to give and produce as it has. Because it's been blessed to do that. Now it's reached the end of the curse and it won't be able to do it anymore. 
That's famine conditions. The disastrous conditions caused by famine will result in a part of that fourth of their starving to death. In Revelation 8, 7 through 12, we read this. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. Watch this. And a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea had life, died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. The name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck. So that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. The burning up of a third of the trees and all grass creates what? Famine. In severity to anything the world has ever known. After the sea becomes blood, a third part of the creatures in the sea, the fish, die. A third part of the ships are destroyed, so that moving of food from one place to another, it can't take place. Fresh water is in serious shortage, and so it'll be difficult to irrigate and grow crops. People are going to die because of a lack of fresh water. Then it says a third part of the sun and the moon and the stars are darkened. In other words, you know what that means? The whole cycle of night and days that God decreed in the very beginning and again did it at, for Noah, that's changed. The result is seasons changing, crops not growing, and that, of course, is going to result in a worldwide chaos. And that's just famine. But what about Pestilence or plagues. Revelation 6, 2, 2 through 12 says, tells us this. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped the image. Now a terrible plague is coming, and it's going to bring about a malignant sore, which is, in other words, a cancerous sore on your skin. Okay. Verse 3, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. I told you, remember, back in the seal judgment, a third of the sea was turned to blood. Now the entire sea is blood. In verse 8, then the, or verse 4, Then the angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. Heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judge these things. For they pour out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. Do you see what's happening here? All the, of the deaths, all the martyrs, resulted in the spilling of blood of, of, of the children of God. God is now has not forgotten that. In a sense, he's kept it all. 
And now he is giving it back to his enemies, the people who have persecuted his children. That's a tit-for-tat judgment, okay? No, they'll be out of water, basically. Food will be scarce. Verse 7, I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And so in heaven, don't, I mean, we want things to be right. We want justice, right? It sometimes comes in this world, sometimes it doesn't. But it will come. It's not forgotten. And in heaven, they're saying, this world, the enemies of God, you deserve this. And it's coming, and it's going to be unprecedented. I'm in Revelation chapter um, 16. Okay? I will send this out later today, both sermons, okay? Because it's just a lot of information you understand, okay? So now, from what we just read, all the rivers and fountains of water become as blood. Verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given it, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues. They did not repent so as to give him glory. So the sun begins to burn people with great heat and fire, which probably means that that protective shield that we have around us has disintegrated, and it's just going to calm down, and you're going to burn. Okay? You know, I've made a joke that, it, you know, hell to me would be an eternal small talk, because I don't like small talk, it drains me, an eternal sunburn. <laughs> okay? Well, this is going to be something like that, just awful. Verse 10, Then the angel, fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. That would be the Antichrist. And his kingdom became darkened. And they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. So they have cancerous, cancerous growth on their skin. They're burning, okay? And they're in such pain, they're gnawing their tongues. And they're doing this, by the way, keep this in mind, in darkness. Because what happened to the sun? See? And they did not repent of their deeds, is what it says in verse 11. Stubborn. Despite all these terrible plagues, men would rather endure the pain by gnawing their tongues and blaspheme God rather than repent. So then the, and prepare a way for more carnage and death. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river of the Euphrates, and it was, water was dried up. Why? So that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east for this great war that's going to take place. That's plagues. Pestilences. What about fearful sights? No, it's not when I roll over or when my wife rolls over and sees me in the morning. That's a fearful thing for her. Okay? And she says it could be worse, and that's what she does every morning and gets up and goes on another day. But what about fearful sights? Now, what are fearful sights? Those are like the things that you see that's terrorizing happenings and horrible events that you witness. Well, apart from the carnage of war, and that's awful enough, the death through starvation that you're witnessing, that's awful enough, the plagues that, you're, that I just described, there's going to be death through wild beasts. Again, I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. You said I had 
the name death, and Hades was falling with him. It's Revelation 6, 8. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill the sword and with famine, with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. What is that? Well, why? Well, what are the animals going to be searching for? Food and water. Okay? Now, out of hunger, this is important to understand this, they crossed the boundary of fear set by God in Genesis 9-2 with Noah. Remember? He put, there was a symbiotic relationship between animals and man all throughout, really. You can see it today. If you get a, a baby lion, okay, and you, it grows up with you, it, it won't harm you, right? But that symbiotic relationship was over in Genesis 9-2 when the fear of man was put in them. Well, that fear is now gone at this time in history. Animals are no longer just food for humans. Humans become food for starving animals. And what a horrible sight to watch a wild beast tear apart a human. But there's more. This is Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. I, Revelation 6. When he, I looked, when he broke the fifth, sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. And the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast the, its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us in the presence of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Now I want you to think of the terrorizing fear that grips you as the earth begins to shake in a way that is beyond anything anybody has, could even imagine, to the point where it's splitting apart. The sun has now become black. Now what does that mean? It is no longer giving light. So it's beyond a, a, an eclipse, okay? It's just completely black. Because even an eclipse, it's just hiding it and the light goes out. It is black, it is dark. The moon does shine, but it's shining a blood red color at night. And oh, by the way, you're watching as the sky begins to fall apart as stars are falling to the earth. Those are horrible events to witness, and they're going to do what to people? Terrorize them, grip them with fear. They'll be paralyzed in a sense. Then there's Revelation chapter 9. I wish I was done, and there's more I could go into here, because the people are going to know, by the way, this is the judgment of God, but they're still not repenting. And they're so afraid they're hiding Revelation 9, verses 1 through 6. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven, which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth 
nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but watch this, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. So demonic beings torment humanity in the form of locusts. And in such an agonizing pain that humanity will attempt mass suicide, but will fail. And how long will this last? For five months. But they're going to be in such pain and suffering that they're going to believe, and which is normal, that this pain is so great, death surely has to be right around the corner, right around my next breath. And what happens? It's not there. It's not there. It never comes. Now, have you ever watched someone suffer in great pain? Anybody? Yeah. It's unbearable to watch. Have you ever heard someone, though, moan or weep or scream in agony? That is beyond unbearable. It is unnerving. It is uncomfortable. You have to leave to not hear those sounds. That is what it will be like. Revelation 14, verses 19 and 20. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them to the ground and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horses' bridles for a distance of 200 miles. This is talking, I believe, about a, a war. But it says here, that, I mean, think about that. Another fearful sight that is unimaginable. Bloodshed is so great that the blood comes out of the wine press up to the horse's bridle for 200 miles. A horse's bridle is roughly four feet deep. So you have 200 miles of four feet deep blood. We know where it's going to happen. Horses' blood bridles will be dragging in blood for 200 miles. That is the northernmost to the very southernmost tip of Israel where this will happen for 200 miles. It's an incredible and inconceivable event, and that certainly will foster more fear. But the fearful sights don't let up. In Revelation 18, we read of the downfall of Babylon, and we believe this is a symbol of the world's economic system. Verses 4 through 8 of Revelation 18. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds in the cup which she has mixed. Mixed twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day, this is a very fast judgment, the economy is going to collapse in a day. Her plagues will come. Pestilence and mourning and famine, and she'll be burned up with fire. The Lord God who judges her is strong." What is interesting is the power of greed 
is seen as the nations of the earth mourn the collapse of the worldwide economic system. This is verses 9 and 10. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. In other words, it doesn't take a while for the economy to collapse. It usually happens what? Quickly, okay? But look at verse uh, 10. The people stand at a distance because of the fear of, of the torment, saying, whoa, whoa, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for one hour your judgment has come. Now this downfall inspires more fear because they stand at a distance. And think about it. We put our confidence, to some extent understandable, but in what? Our possessions, what we have. We have money to buy food, jobs so we can continue to provide for ourselves and for our families and so on. Take that away. Whoever's been unemployed in the, the, the fear of that, right? So that's another fear that you're going to wrestle with during this time. This is the, the judgment that has fallen upon Babylon. And the context leads us to believe it's talking about the economy. So we're talking about total destruction here. The rest of chapter 18 describes uh, the devastation of Babylon. But finally we arrive at the last point, signs from heaven. What are signs from heaven? Well, Revelation 6, 12 through 15. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. We know what that is. And the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. The whole moon became like blood. Watch this. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. In other words, the heavens begin to fall apart now. Now, if this passage sounds familiar, does it? To anybody? It should, because it's what was quoted, basically, by Peter, who was quoting Joel, chapter 2. This is from Acts 2, 19 to 21. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. It shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So now we have what? A great earthquake. We know what that is. The sun becomes as black as sackcloth. It's darkened. The moon becomes like blood. The stars of the heaven fall to the earth. Now, that is hard to imagine, right? But we don't have to, thankfully. God provides us an image. He says it's like a fig tree that is blown by a great wind and it causes the figs to fall to the ground. That is what it will be like when God shakes the heaven and stars fall. The very heavens itself will depart like a scroll. Now what does that mean? Well, picture in your mind a scroll. You've just unrolled it, right? What happens, and you have to put something to hold it down, right? What happens when you roll it back up, or you let go of it? It just rolls back up. Well, and as the whole of heaven rolls up like a scroll, every mountain and island is moved out of its place. In other words, if you were to take a scroll and open it, it was a map, and you put various armies on this map and you're studying it, when you roll that back up, what happens to all those pieces that were, they're moved, Okay. They're gone, okay? 
Every mountain is moved, every island is moved as well. And that is just staggering to think of. It's hard to comprehend. We talked about, at this point, that the calendar is off, right? Seasons are missing. With the stars falling, the heavens falling, the tides, they're in disarray. Everything is off as the judgment is poured out. Islands are going to be washed away. Mountains are going to be leveled. You know, the, when our very Lord himself comes to the second coming, his foot touches the ground, it creates this instant valley, the valley of decision. Okay? But we're not done. <laughs> we can't forget the hail that falls from heaven. Verse, chapter 16, verse 21. Huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. I mean, it's, it's so extremely severe and terrifying that it's nearly inconceivable. I mean, think about that for a moment. The loss of life would be incredible. If 100-pound hailstones were falling in my house, the safest place I could go to, and it probably wouldn't be safe enough, would be in the crawl space underneath our house. But continual hundred pounds falling, would it break through my roof? Would it break through the second floor? The first floor? Yes. I mean, other than in a steel building or in a, a cave or something like that, where is it going to be safe to be? Okay? <laughs> and the Lord says of these things, they are the, just the beginning of the end. So I've given you a glimpse of the things that are at the beginning. And I've taken you to the bold judgments, which are at the end. I said I plan on finishing the signs this week, but you understand now why this took forever? Just to get through that portion. And there was more I could go to. But I do think there's something that is, is very healthy at looking at something like this in this detail. And we could have gotten far more greater detail. Because when you slow down and you start to think about this, you realize that what Hollywood produces with its end times and the, the devastation that they can create, it really pales to what will happen in real life. Now, I plan on, by the grace of God, finishing up the signs next week. Okay? But I always struggle with what are we to do with this information? Okay. I said last week, you need to know it, okay? And this is enough for you to know it. But I think that what I want you to do is this, is, that, is to now start to be on the alert. Know it and be looking, okay? Develop that habit, all right? I'll give you something else specifically to do next week, but that's what I want you to do with this, just be on the alert. Because that's what Jesus tells us to do at the end of chapter 24. Know these things and then be on the alert, Okay? Because you do not know which day your Lord is coming. And I believe, if I'm correct, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, the very last verse in the Bible says what? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And that's what we all long for. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this, it's a sobering message for sure. 
But what is so great about this, Father, is that you have revealed, and it reveals your nature and how good you are. You want us to know these things. You are telling us these things in advance. So we are to be without excuse. We can know. We don't have to worry. And I pray that that just draws forth praise from our lips because you are good. And we exalt you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being patient with me. I knew this would be a longer sermon, but you, you are awake and good, and so go be depressed the rest of the day as you think about these things, all right?